0: All right. Hey, good morning. How are we doing on the Nevada Day weekend? Wow. And how many of us got a jacket out for the first time since, I don't know, maybe March or April? Pretty awesome. It was incredible. almost forgot what cold felt like for a second. Next week, we are having Jack Levinson come, and we are so excited. He has been writing and praying, and thinking, and meditating on the Holy Spirit for over 40 years. And more than that, he is just a gem of a man. You're going to just enjoy him. He is a great person. So please, please, please uh, be here next week, and then come back 4.30. You can just watch Sunday Night Football later. Watch the conference in person. Okay. That's important. All right. So next week, man, it has been an incredible week around here already. Um, going to the rehab center and serving with 30 of you yesterday and others that wish they could have been there. But it is just an awesome, awesome thing to see what God's doing in that community. The relationships that are being built. It just, it's, it's now just. One of them said, you guys are family. Come on in. It doesn't matter. Just go anywhere you want. So I think we washed every wheelchair in the entire place. We revitalized the middle of their courtyard to bring some life to that and to clean um, the bird uh, turd. Okay. So it was great. It was a great week. It was a great week. Anyway. And then last afternoon, we had a a really awesome um, memorial service for Crystal's sister, Kelly. If you're not familiar, Crystal was our... um, our, uh, our Conference or our, uh, our administrator across the street at the elementary side, and her sister um, battled cancer for a couple of years, and um, this last uh, September went home to be with Jesus, and we were able to just have a really uh, Jesus-honoring, uh, hopeful service uh, yesterday, and so it was a really, really special, special time with the family, and so uh, just be in prayer for, for Crystal and her family. We just love them so dearly, and uh, last... Um, night. There was even some more just just hanging out um, over at Rick's house, uh, her husband, and just and just uh, really just crying but laughing. It was just a it was a um, it was a good a good time with that family. So um, our church always is going through things, and so just hold each other in each other's hearts. Um, we are starting the series on the Holy Spirit, and I want I want to kind of um, tee up the series in this topic. Um, just kind of acknowledging something from the front. And that is that this, unfortunately, is a controversial subject. You know, when you hear about, we're going to do a Holy Spirit conference, or we're going to have a Holy Spirit series, that could, for a lot of people, go in a lot of different directions. And I think it's, it's cruel irony, you know, the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit that should be bringing the church together that that Jesus couldn't wait to, to see happen in the church, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who would help us and comfort us and teach us has instead become a, become a source of controversy and division. And I think that's just really sad. Um, there are churches that think, you know, hey, if you're really a, a Jesus follower, you're going to a- experience miraculous gifts of, of speaking in tongues and, and miracles. And there are other churches who think that actually is something from our bygone era and that doesn't happen today. And so there are different places that people can be. And maybe some of you uh, have been in different traditions even before you came to the church here. Or maybe you don't really know. Maybe you're new to church and you don't know what speaking in tongues even is. And so it could be just kind of like one of those kind of controversial things and, and maybe mysterious things. What does Jesus or what does the Holy Spirit do today? Um, what, is, what is really uh, something I should expect if I'm really born of the Spirit, like Jesus says in John 3? But, you know, I like to push all those kind of questions to the side because I really think they get distracting. I actually think there's an important question that sometimes we're ignoring, and I wanna, I wanna ask you if this resonates just a bit with you. Have you ever just kind of wondered that you're maybe missing something in your walk with Jesus? Maybe, maybe you've just kind of been suspicious. I have, I'll be honest. I, man, is there more to my walk with Jesus? And sometimes I, I get a taste of something just for a minute, maybe in a, in a special time with God. And I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want that to end. I want to have that more, right? More of that presence, more of that, that engagement with the spirit, right? Or maybe um, you have experienced that in the past, but if you're being honest, it's, it's been a bit. Maybe your Christian life has cooled a bit. Um, maybe it's cooled a bit because a prayer didn't get answered. You got caught up in life, you got caught up in the world, you got caught up in sin. I mean, it could be a lot of things that you could get caught up in. And it's just not, it's not what it once was. And it's kind of maybe made you a little jaded. Like maybe you even doubt that you even had that experience with the Holy Spirit, maybe, right? Or maybe you're not a believer yet. And honestly, you're skeptical because you've met so-called Christians and they're not very nice, some of them. (laughs) And if the Holy Spirit's real, I thought that they would be more like Jesus, right? They love people and instead we're known, some Christians are known more for what we're against than what we're for. And so you're kind of like somewhere else on that on, on that house uh, spectrum of the Holy Spirit. So I wanna just bring it back to the central topic, the central point. And I wanna tell you this, after studying this topic for honestly a few years, cause I've made this the entire focus of my whole thesis, I wanna say something. and I wanna say that as the outlet, as the outlier the out, I can't say the word today, the thesis statement of the, of the whole series, and that's this. That when God breathed his spirit into you, as we read earlier, when you were baptized in the spirit, I want you to know this. God breathed that into you to transform you. The purpose of the spirit in your life isn't necessarily to perform miracles or mighty signs and wonders. The main job of the Holy Spirit is to enter your life and to breathe new hope and new transformation into you for a process that makes you more and more, little by little, day by day, like Jesus himself. That's the point of the Spirit. There's a lot of cool things the Holy Spirit does. We're gonna talk about those in this series. But I don't want us to lose the main thing, which is the Holy Spirit was given to us to transform us into someone who looks like, lives like, and loves like Jesus. You guys excited about studying the Holy Spirit? I am, yeah. All right. Here's what Paul says. I think he'd agree. Look what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter, 13, uh, chapter 12. It's actually 13. That's a typo. Sorry. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So there it is. For Paul, it wasn't these powerful gifts of the spirit that were important, although they are awesome. It's the fact that I am now able to love like Jesus. So let's dive in. I want to back up to that story that uh, we read earlier. And I want you to picture a kind of an eccentric looking figure. He's out in the desert. It would be a desert that looks a lot like this desert. He's by a river And he's got a strange message, and not only does he have a strange message, he has a strange outfit on, okay? His fit wouldn't look like my fit or your fit. He's got camel skin on. His diet is locusts and honey, and he's crying out in the wilderness, make way, for the king is coming. I am preparing the way in the desert for the highway of our God. His name is John the Baptizer, and he's preaching out in the desert that Israel needs to repent that they need to be ready because the king is on his way. And so he says these words, we read it earlier, Matthew, 13, uh, Matthew chapter three, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you, here it is, with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John the Baptist, this strange prophetic figure is in the desert, and he's saying these words to Israel. In fact, not just Israel, but even some Roman soldiers are coming out to listen. And he's preaching to both religious leader and Roman legion, and he's saying the same thing. You need to repent because there's somebody coming. I'm preparing the way for him. And when he shows up, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Luke, in Luke's account of the same story, uh, Luke records that people are wondering maybe John is gonna be the Messiah right? It says, the people were waiting expectantly. and were all wondering in their hearts if maybe John might possibly be the Messiah, but he corrects it. He says, no, it's not. I, I'm not. I'm not the Messiah. He says, I baptize you, the same kind of words here. I baptize you with water, but the one who's more powerful than I will come, the, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And here it is again. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So I want to kind of break that that question down for a second. What does that mean? What does it mean to think that Jesus will come and he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire? And there's a lot of, even again, division over what this means in the church, but I want to just take it as as simple and as straightforward as possible. we know what the word baptized means. When we did a baptism a couple of weeks ago, right? It's to, to immerse, to be dunked, to be drenched, to be flooded, I mean whatever word you want, right? We know it, we know what the word spirit means, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the, the breath of God. It's the life-giving ruach of the of the Old Testament that covered a, 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 on top of the creative waters in Genesis 1. It's breathing life into the first humans. That's the spirit. And so when you put those two together, what John is saying, there's someone coming who's going to immerse you. He's going to dunk you. He's going to drench you in the mighty life-giving breath of God. You are going to get new life from God himself with this guy who's coming. And so that's that's what that means. And so I want you to think about um, how powerful a thought that is, that someone's coming that's going to do that. Luke kind of fast-forwards the story a bit, and now we get to Jesus himself. So this was John talking. Here's what Jesus, here's what happens when Jesus shows up. Hit that next one for me. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And notice this, it says, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. And so we have this beautiful picture of, of Jesus himself being baptized. And at that moment, you see the spirit descending and like a dove, it's baptizing Jesus. He's being drenched in the spirit. In, in Mark's account of the same story, it's it's the text says that the, the heaven was actually torn apart and the spirit comes descending on Jesus. But when it hits Jesus, it shoots him into the desert to face the devil. Because right after this moment, Jesus faces the devil for 40 days in the wilderness. And so this is a a pivotal moment in the the life and story of Jesus. And it's a pivotal moment in our story as well, because what we start to see is what this new life looks like, because it starts in Jesus first. Before we ever experience the spirit-filled life, Jesus experiences it First. Luke makes a point of it. Look what he says. Look what Luke says. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Fourteen verses later, he says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread. And in John, it says this, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words for God gives him the Spirit without limit. So we're supposed to look at the ministry of Jesus, and we're supposed to say Jesus was a man who was filled and empowered by the Spirit. He ministered in the Spirit. He healed in the Spirit. He lived and loved people in the power of the Spirit. It's, it's easy sometimes to think, well, that Jesus was a, a special example or a special you know, exception because he's God in human form. But that's not how the gospels record Jesus. They don't, they don't say, well, Jesus only could do this because he's God. No, the gospels are actually saying Jesus did what he did because he was filled with the spirit. And this is what Scott McKnight says about this. I think this is just kind of captures it. It says, Jesus as a human did all that he did Living, eating, praying, conversing, healing, teaching, doing good, rebuking, defending by the power of the Spirit. Okay, here's what I want you to catch as we start this series. This is this powerful? Jesus lived a spirit filled and spirit fueled life. I want you to think about that. So when we read what Jesus does, when we read these beautiful stories of Jesus loving people, whether it's the woman at the well or it's or it's it's Nicodemus at night when he's asking Jesus about how do I explain what, what you do? How do, we, how do you do what you do? Who are you, Jesus? Whether it's Jesus talking to a leper and healing the leper or he's at Zacchaeus the tax collector's house. Guys, listen, wherever Jesus is at, He's ministering and he's living in the power of the Spirit. And so I want to think about that because I think this is the central thing of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is is to try to transform you and I into someone who lives and loves like Jesus. So here's today's question, all right? This was all set up for this question. How do I do that? How do I actually live this Jesus way? Is it possible to be changed? I think some of us are really skeptical. Can I just say that? I think there's some skepticism out there. It's like people don't really change. Have you heard someone say that? Nah, people don't change. Guys, listen, people change. And I know someone who can change them. Can I get an amen to that? Guys, I'm gonna tell you something. The Holy Spirit can transform us if we live what Jesus lives, if we do what Jesus did. And so I wanna talk about that question. I wanna ask that question. How do I live a spirit-filled, a consistent spirit-filled life. And I want to look at a story that I think really will teach this to us in a powerful way. And I want to set it up. So this is, um, this is a, a time in Jesus' ministry where he's really busy. He is, um, in fact, just before our story, he gets probably some of the worst news of his, of his adult life, and that's that John the baptizer, the guy who baptized him, was just beheaded. And so Jesus hears this news that John has been executed. John was a bold and fearless preacher, and the king didn't like what he was saying, and neither did the queen. And eventually, John is executed. And I think that that news hits Jesus, and he's a human. Remember, Jesus is a human. He isn't just you know unaffected by life, and that's tough news. And I think it reminds Jesus of where his destination will go. And so if you read this backstory of what we're at today, Jesus wants to, he wants to get alone. He wants to go pray and process with the Father. But he can't. There's people all around Jesus. They're talking to him. They're they're asking for more teaching. They're they're just wanting to see more miracles. I mean, there's just people everywhere. And so what happens in our story is that Jesus is with these people and they're they're with him for all day. And there's a crowd and it's gotten up to 5,000 people and so he feeds the 5,000. And at the end of that day, he's tired. the disciples are tired. <clears throat> but remember, I told you, the entire day, Jesus has kind of wanted to get away. He wants to get alone with his Father, to be to process and to pray about everything he's hearing. And so in verse chapter 14 of Matthew, we read this verse, Matthew chapter 14: 22. Immediately, this is at the end of the day after feeding the 5,000. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of the, of the lake of, of where they were, the Sea of Galilee, while he dismissed the crowd. And then it says, after, after he dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And so I wanna just stop right there and I want you just to kind of imagine this. Finally, have you been there before? You finally got the, the kids to bed. Are you with me? You finally got the laundry folded. You finally got whatever and you're really finally able to kind of be alone. And if you really are walking with Jesus, these are beautiful moments to spend with God. So maybe you're just finally there and you're just like, okay, Lord, I've been holding this in my heart all day. And I've just, now I can finally cry about it, right? I can finally just tell you, well, God, this is hard to hear. John is dead. I can't imagine life without John. He's always been there. He was a source of encouragement to me because I know he was a faithful disciple, a faithful follower, a faithful prophet. And so Jesus is, I I imagine Jesus pouring this out to to the Father, and, and the prayer goes longer than maybe he imagined, okay? I don't know, I'm speculating. So he's praying, and he's praying, and he's praying. And at some point, um, he's been praying almost the entire night. And he decides now he needs to go join his disciples. Remember, he told his disciples to get in the boat. He's kind of trying to get get them in the boat out of there so he can dismiss the crowd. And as long as his disciples were around, the crowds were staying. So that's why he got the, the disciples in the boat, and he sends them across the lake. So how's Jesus going to meet up to his disciples? They've been, they've been rowing for hours now. And what we don't know yet is a storm started swelling on the lake. And look at verse 24. It says, as the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, because Jesus had been praying most of the night, buffeted by the waves because of the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, this is the good part here, Jesus went out on them, on the, on the waves, on the, on the lake, walking on the lake. So I want you guys to picture this for a second. So Jesus had been praying all night. Disciples are out there. This is a dark, dark night. Now by now, the sun's almost going to start coming up. But as you know, right, it's always darkest right before the dawn. So I can picture now Jesus, he's now going to walk on the water. He's going to walk on the lake out to his disciples. And they've been rowing out there. And now it's a storm, right? And in verse 26, we read this. We read, hit that next one for me, guys. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were, let's all say it, terrified. Okay, now, I think I'd be terrified, right? I think all of us would be terrified, but I want us to, I want to before I get into the story of their ter- being terrified, I want us to pause the story for a second. I want you to just notice something about their day. Hours earlier, what were the disciples doing? They were distributing food to 5,000 hungry people probably more than 5,000 if you read the story because that doesn't count the women and children. So the disciples earlier that day watched Jesus miraculously take five pieces of bread and two fish and spread it out to 5,000 plus people. Can I say this? They were on the mountaintop earlier that day, right? Have you been there before with God? Have you had a mountaintop moment with God, where you're like, whoa, I'm watching a miracle happen. Like This is crazy. I can't believe this happened. I, no one can ever make me doubt that God is real. Like What I just experienced was amazing, right? Have you been there before? These are those Holy Spirit moments that you just wish you could just bottle up, right? It could be at a camp. It could be at the, at the end of a, of, a, of a tough season where God just comes through and a prayer request is answered. It could be when a prodigal comes home, right? Somebody you've been praying for, and they all of a sudden call you up, and you're like, you wouldn't believe who that was on the phone. Like, God is real. Like, whatever the prayer request was, right? I've been there. You've been there. I want to say that sometimes our lives in the span of 24 hours can have such a pendulum swing. Isn't that true? You can go from the mountaintop to the valley in just such a short period of time. And that's what's happening with these disciples. They had just seen the most amazing display of the power of God hours earlier. And now they're alone on a lake. I don't know which one it was, probably Thomas. Hey, there's a ghost over there. You know, I don't know. Poor Thomas, right? It definitely wasn't Judas. I don't know what Judas is doing. But here we go, right? They're out on the lake and they, they see this, this, this ghost. In fact, it is a ghost, it comes from the, the Greek word phantasma, which we get the word phantom from, right? I thought this was appropriate for this weekend, too. Ghosts are all over the place, right? So it's a ghost story in the Bible. But here we have, right? We have, we have them looking at this ghost. And I don't know what else you would say. I mean, if I was out there, you were out there, we know we're in the middle of the lake. We know we're way out there. We're, we're miles from shore. We know that and what i'm seeing what it looks like i'm seeing if my eyes aren't lying to me is actually a human figure walking on the water and this is terrifying and i can just say this guys i don't care this is powerful i don't care how big your your jesus moment was yesterday if your eyes aren't on jesus today you're terrified are you with me today That's how big and how fast that pendulum can swing. You And I've done this before. I'm speaking out of experience. I've had those moments where I'll say, I'll never doubt God again. Not after today. No way. Like, I know for sure he's real. I know for sure this is all true, right? And 24 hours later, you're like, I don't know if there's a God in heaven. (laughs) Because all I know is there's a ghost coming my way, right? Like, I am terrified right now, right? And that could be a really discouraging time for your walk. And so here we have this, it's a ghost. They cry out in fear. But I want to look at what 27 says, because this is so beautiful. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Guys, can I just say sometimes in the middle of our storm, we need to listen for the voice of Jesus. Jesus. Because in the middle of our fear, if we learn how to listen and we're trained to listen well, we're going to hear those words. Hey, be of good courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Like, that's the voice of a good shepherd, right? The, the voice of a good shepherd calms the fear of his, of his trembling sheep. The voice of a good shepherd wants to comfort you in your fears and in your trials. But here's the problem. Sometimes we don't put ourselves in a place to hear the shepherd's voice. Sometimes we've gotten ourselves so far away from the community of the faithful where the shepherd's voice is loud that we don't hear his comforting words to say, hey man, don't be afraid, it's me. Some of us need to be reminded that Jesus isn't absent in our storm, but sometimes our vision is obscured because we're not looking his direction. And so Jesus is in this storm with the disciples. They've been rowing for hours by this point. They probably are a little freaked out as it is because this storm swell, it seems to be coming out of nowhere. And now to top it all off, I have this ghost that comes my direction. And then the voice of the the master says, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. I love what Peter says the next verse. He says, Lord, if it's you, it could also be translated, Lord, because it's you. We don't know if that's how it's supposed to be taken cuz in the greek it could go both ways so either either peter's asking a question or he's making a statement but either one fits lord if it's you or lord because it's you peter says tell me to come out onto the water now remember this is peter peter is known for the for to try to step into that leadership role He wants to be uh, distinguished among the disciples, right? I don't know if that's what's in his mind. I don't know why it's Peter that speaks up. But I want to just stop right here, and I want to say, good for you, Peter, right? Good for you. Peter speaks up. And Peter says, Lord, because it's you, or if it's you, if it's really you and not a ghost that looks like you, (laughs) I don't know, right? Like, tell me to come. Guys, this is a powerful question that Peter's asking, or a statement. Because Peter's willing to say, Lord, I have faith. I just saw the miracle of 5,000 hours ago. I'm in the middle of this storm. And guys, I want to ask you a question. Where's Peter, where is he, where's his gaze right at this moment? Where's the entire group's gaze right at this moment? The entire group is looking at Jesus. They're focused on him. They're staring at him. For a, for a moment, can I suggest they're not looking at anything else on that water. They're not looking at any of the waves. They're not looking at any of the flashes of lightning or hear, hearing the peals of thunder. They are looking right at Jesus, every one of them. And Peter, in that moment with the entire group looking at Jesus, check this out, Peter has a flash of faith. And he stirred in his soul. Guys, you can argue about what happens later and some of you know what happens later in a minute. We'll talk about it in a minute. But at this moment, there's something stirring in Peter. And it's bolt. Can I get an amen to that? right? And Peter's like, OK, if it's you or because it's you, ask me to come out there. And then what does Jesus say? Come. All right, so here's Peter. And uh, if you don't know, they have, they've actually discovered one of these boats from the first century. They discovered it in the Sea of Galilee. In the 1980s, there was a drought, and the water receded. And out of the receding waters, in the mud, perfectly preserved, was a 2,000-year-old boat from this period. So they've been able to totally restore it. And they have a great picture of what these boats look like. So they actually had pretty high hulls. They, they it wasn't like a canoe out there. This thing's got a pretty steep hull into the water. So this coming over the side of the boat is not an easy feat. I want to mention that. So here's Peter. He's looking at Jesus. He takes that fisherman's step over that rail. And when he puts his foot down on the water, it's firm. I want you to notice that. It's firm. I can imagine for a second, there's like a flash, a smile on his face or astonishment or shock. I don't know what Thomas is thinking. I have no idea what the others are thinking. I think at one point, maybe he flashes a little like wink over to Andrew, his brother. He's like, yeah, you know, whatever. Right. And so here he is. And he takes the other step. Because Jesus had come. Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water. And he came toward Jesus. Wouldn't that be great if that's how the story ended? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Like, wow, that's amazing. Like, this guy walks on water. Like, not only can Jesus walk on water, but he has the authority to help others walk on water. Like, wow, like, that's the great story. But that's not the story. Because Peter doesn't keep his eyes on Jesus. Come on. Guys, when his gaze is on Jesus, he's walking on water. When his gaze is on the master, he can go through any storm. Can I just say this to you guys? It's not the size of the storm in your life. It's the size of the Jesus in your life that matters. It's not the size of how much chaos is happening. It's where you're focused because whatever you focus on fills you. And when you're focused on Jesus, that's what fills you. But when you're focused on your fears, that's what fills you. Because this is the story today. The Holy Spirit wants to keep your eyes in one place. And that's on the Lord Jesus himself. That's his only job. That's his major job. It's not everything else is ancillary. Everything else is, uh, is garnished on the plate. The main course for the Holy Spirit is Jesus. And so anything else that we experience in the Holy Spirit is all to bring us back to Jesus. And so Peter gets his foot over the board of the boat. He takes a few steps, but look at the next, the next verse. When he saw the wind, let's all say it. He was afraid. Did you notice how fear is in this story? They're terrified at the wind and the waves when they see, first, I'm sorry, they're terrified when they see Jesus, right? I don't know how they're feeling about the wind and waves. I'm sure they're not happy about that, but they're terrified when they see a ghost that looks like Jesus. But I want you to notice that the fear that they experienced must have dissipated because the story says that that he he was afraid then, now, So he has this period, this moment where he was afraid. And then he's looking and he's having a conversation with Jesus. And so are the rest of the disciples. And the fear that they had is gone. But now he's now walking on the water and he's doing fine until his eyes leave Jesus. And they start to go on the effects of the wind around him. And the first service I was imagining that maybe it was a big wave that kind of crashed and a spray of water like hit his face, you know? And all of a sudden, he kind of woke him up. Like, he looked for a second about where he was. Like, am I really out here? Like, wait a second, you know? I don't know if it was that or if it was a flash of lightning that drew his eyes off of Jesus. And he sees a swell coming his way. And this experienced fisherman knows very much of what's, what the water's like out there. And so for just a second, he's lost his focus on Jesus. But I want to show you what happens. It says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me, Lord, save me. I think this is so powerful because even though Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and his faith starts to fade and his body starts to sink, Peter knows exactly where he needs to go with his cry. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes when we look at the storm and we get our eyes off of Jesus, we forget to ask for him to save us. Sometimes we look to other things to try to save us when we start to sink. And I don't know what your thing is. We all have it. These are substitutes that I think that the devil throws our way. Hey, grab that life raft. Jesus has let you down. You might be halfway out there toward him, but the, the, the eyes have left Jesus and now they're looking at the circumstances and now we start to see the effects of it because here's the deal, guys. When we stop, when we stop gazing, we stop growing, right? When whatever I focus on will fill me. So when I start focusing on my fears, that starts to fill me. And when Peter's focus failed, so did his faith. I want you to see that. His faith was doing so good while his focus was on Jesus, but as soon as his focus failed, so did his faith. And there he is, right at that critical moment. What is he going to do? Lord, save me. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you start to feel the water <laughs> go up your legs, like, and you know you're going down? That's the question. Where do you go when you feel like you're sinking? Man, we all have different options. Some of us, we go to escape behaviors that actually end up making us feel more ashamed. Pornography, drinking, alcohol, drugs, whatever. Relationships. I don't like how I'm feeling. What can I reach to? Others of us, we might go to just different people in our life You know, whenever I get in trouble, I call this person. Whenever I'm feeling like life is out of control, I go here. And guys, I'm not saying you can't go to people for help, but here's what I am saying. Why do we ignore the very one who is the source of our help? Why do we ignore the very one who calls us out of the boat in the first place? Why do we ignore the very one who's walking on the water? Like, that's my question. In this this life of faith, here's the point. We get our eyes off of Jesus, and when that happens, we start to sink. So, what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? This is what this whole thing has to do with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us, me and you, as the believers in Jesus, to nourish our faith by keeping our focus on Jesus. The more I focus on Jesus, the more my faith is encouraged. The more my eyes stay on Jesus, the more I'm able to walk on the waters, guys. When's the last time you really looked at Jesus? When's the last time your eyes were gazing on Jesus? When's the last time maybe a storm took your eyes off of Jesus? And you're like, you know, it's been, I got, I got so sidetracked. That that, that that wave, that rogue wave just like swamped my boat. Look how the story ends in verse 31. Immediately, <clears throat> Hit that next one for me, you guys. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Now, at this point, I want to just defend Peter for a second. Jesus, I don't see Andrew out here on the water, right? Like, (laughs) I have little faith. Well, Andrew, you must have no faith, okay? Because at least I'm out here. (laughs) But what is Jesus saying to Peter? He's saying, Peter... You've got doubt. And doubt in this, in this context doesn't just mean that you ever, you ever have like a question that you, you don't know the answer to. Doubt in this context means you have two minds or two focuses. And you, and you let your mind get split. You let your focus get split. That's what doubt means in this context. And so what P- Jesus is pointing out to Peter is you let your mind get split up. You got your focus off of me for just a second. And that doubt, here it is, it hurts your faith. Guys, here's the point. The mountaintop moments with the Holy Spirit aren't going to sustain you on the storms of life. You know what you need? You need to be sustained by ongoing gazing at the eyes of Jesus. You need to be sustained right here. And so it's in the quiet disciplines in the morning when you open up your Bible, even when you don't feel like it, and you say, Jesus, I know that if I don't keep looking at you, I'm going to start to sink. And so this morning, Holy Spirit, help me to gaze on Jesus. And at night, I'm going to go on a prayer walk. This is my rhythm, okay? You do your rhythm, but you have one, and you, everyone needs one. I'm, Lord, I'm going to go on this prayer walk, because all day long, I've been tempted to keep my eyes off Jesus. So today, I am just going to breathe out prayer to the Father in the name of the Son in the power of the Spirit. I'm gonna go on this walk and I'm gonna just let the Spirit speak to me and I'm gonna let the Spirit put thoughts on my mind so I can bring up to the Father just like Jesus as he prayed all night. I'm just gonna spend time processing the day with my Father in heaven because that's gonna keep my eyes on Jesus. Are you with me, church? That's what it means to let the Spirit keep your gaze on the Son. At the end of this whole story, they climb back in the boat. Hit that next verse for me, guys. And the wind dies down. And those who are in the boat worshiped him. You are the son of God. Guys, there's going to be an end to all of our story one day. One day, Jesus will return. I was at a memorial service yesterday. And we were talking about the end of Kelly's story. One day, we're all going to be in the boat, safe with Jesus for eternity. Amen. But how do we want to be there? Do we want to be in that boat sopping wet (laughs) because we sank? Or do we want to be in that boat knowing that we walked our, our course, we walked our path with our eyes on Jesus? Guys, you don't have to You don't have to fall. You don't have to fail. The Holy Spirit can sustain you. I don't care what storm you're in. There's no storm bigger than Jesus. There's no storm greater than his power. There are people in your life, church, that need a spirit-filled and spirit-filled fueled man or woman. There are people in your family that need to see what it looks like to be fueled by the Spirit. You have brothers, you have sisters, you have kids, you have aunts and uncles, you have people at work, people in your neighborhood that need to see that's what it looks like to be fueled and filled with the Spirit. So here's my question. What kind of believer are you going to be? What kind of follower of Jesus are you going to be? Are you going to be someone that's filled and fueled by the Spirit? At your job, are they going to know, maybe not because of how you preach all the time, but just how you love all the time, that that person walks with Jesus. That person is just different. Are you known by the fruit of the spirit in your life? Can I have everybody stand as we end? I want you to reflect on this. But I want you to look at one last verse because the Bible told us that Jesus doesn't just baptize with the spirit, but he also baptizes with fire. Did you catch that? It's also with fire. In John, it says this. I read this earlier, but I want to go back to this end here. For he is sent by God, he speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son, look at that, and has put everything into his hands. But look what else happens here. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. That's the fire. Let me explain. Jesus came to baptize us in the spirit and to give us eternal life, to to give his very life into our very life, to put his spirit into our spirit. But if you reject that, if you ignore that, if you push that away, the Bible says here that the, that we will never experience eternal life, but instead we will remain under God's angry judgment. That's the baptism of fire. That's judgment. I'm not going to neglect the harder passages in this church. I'm gonna teach you both. Yes, I love talking about the good news of Jesus, that he loves everyone, that there's no one outside of his reach, that he wants all to come to repentance and know Jesus. But I'm gonna tell you this, if you reject that, if you ignore that, like there is no other salvation, you will remain under God's judgment and you will experience that baptism of fire. And so friend, I don't care what your background is. I don't care where you're at. The option is right before you. You either receive Jesus you receive that baptism of the spirit, or you take your chances meeting a holy God in your sinful state. Don't do that, my friend. Don't scoff at Jesus. Don't push him away. Just receive him. He died for you. He gave everything so you could have freedom. Let's bow our heads. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, right now, if you could just bow your head in the attitude of prayer. I wanna just walk this through with you today. Right where you stand, you could just pray a prayer that says something like this. God, I know I have sinned. I've done wrong things. And I know I would be underneath your judgment, your angry judgment. You, you, you deserve, because of all the things I've done, I deserve to be punished. But I want to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. You don't have anger towards me right now. You have love towards me. And so I want to receive Jesus as my savior, right? Where you stand, you could pray a prayer. God, please forgive me. I know that I deserve to be punished, but right now I I receive the free gift of salvation. I put my hope in Jesus who died on the cross and took away my, my sin, took my place, took the punishment that I deserved. I want that for me. Right where you stand, you could cry out to God and receive that salvation. And from, the, from this day forward, walk a brand new life that's spirit-filled and learn how to live and love the way Jesus did. If you're a disciple of Jesus in this room and you've, and you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus, right? You are, you're in that storm or you've been on a storm and your focus isn't there right where you stand. I want, you to, I want to invite you right where you are. God, say this prayer with me. God, refocus my attention on Jesus. God, help me to see the tactics of the enemy to keep my eyes off of Jesus. God, right now, I want Jesus to fill my vision and so fuel my faith. Let's take a quiet moment right there. If you need prayer, if you wanna come forward for prayer we'll have the prayer team up here and right where you are, you can move out of your chair and you can just come and get prayer we're going to have Carolia sing over us. And I'm just to have the church have a moment of prayer. If you know your focus has not been on Jesus and you just want to come forward, and, God, right now, I just bow my knee. Maybe you want to go, go on the prayer rugs up here and just pray. Whatever, however you want to move. If today's a day for you to make a move toward Jesus, you do that right now. Don't let anything stop you. Maybe this is your get out of the boat moment. <laughs> You're gonna get out of that boat and you're gonna keep your eyes on Jesus all the way to the front. So if that's you, come forward right now, let's pray. If you know there's somebody in your life that you love that is far away from God and you wanna pray for them, come forward, let's pray. If you have a burden, a heartache, maybe you're in that storm and you need help keeping your eyes on Jesus, come forward, let's pray. So right now, church, we'll just take a quiet moment. pray.